Have you ever thought what it's like to be wanderers in the fourth dimension? This is the Doctor Who Podcast. Right. Hello and welcome to DWP episode 60. This week after our predictions we're going to be thinking about what is in the news. So put the kettle on, put on your slippers, sit back, relax and let's see what's new in the Hooniverse. Yes, indeed. Hello, one and all, and welcome to episode 60 of the Doctor Who podcast. After Trev has joined us for two full episodes in a row, <laughs> he's off again. Um, I think he's got quite a good excuse, though, hasn't he, this time, Tom? Hello, by the way. Hello. Yeah, my understanding is that he's uh, helping the people of Brisbane swim to work. <laughs> Something along those lines, yeah. So, uh, well done, Trev. It's very altruistic and... Uh, I guess the listeners, once again, are just left with you and I, Tom, so we'll have to take them through the news the best we possibly can. Uh, But just before we get into the news, and it's been quite a bit over the last couple of months or so, we've received some feedback on our last episode, our predictions episode. And this is from Drew Walco. Um, It doesn't say where he's from, but judging from his accent, I would say it's got to be somewhere in America. Over to you, Drew. Hi, this is Drew Henry Gordon Jago from the DWP forums. Uh, I was just listening to the review or the prediction show and about the prediction about the next companion and whether or not it could be a male. Uh, I think Stephen Moffat has proven that he can write a strong male relationship extremely well, both within Sherlock, certainly. Uh, between Holmes and Watson, and uh, even in coupling, where the relationship, the bromance between the between the male characters and the bond was extremely strong, and uh, you could emotionally invest in it. Um, so I think it's quite possible we could see the next companion being a male, and maybe having maybe a second Doctor and Jamie sort of relationship, or even just a strong, uh, close male friendship uh, as. You know, as the Doctor and the Brigadier, maybe. Um, so I don't think a male companion would be out of the question. And uh, so we'll see what happens, I guess, when the next companion is announced. Keep up the great work. Love listening to the show, as always. Bye. Right, well, do you know, it's interesting, that, because I, I know that when the show came back in 2005, uh, Russell T. Davies' attitude was classic Doctor Who is the Doctor, the TARDIS, and one female companion. Um, 
the only time I'm, I'm aware of a, re- of a really strong single male companion, single-ish male companion, is Jamie. I mean, he really stands out. Um, mm. After that, it becomes... What do we get? We've got Ben, we've got uh, Harry, and then we've got the, the unit team, and then maybe Adric later on. So, yeah, I, in fairness to, to, to RT, I think it's more... I, I prefer the, the Doctor and one female companion, because otherwise it becomes a bit like a buddy movie, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a little bit strange, um, the way that male companions have always been portrayed in the main, certainly after the black and white era, as fairly whimsical. I mean, Harry, you could say, is a slight exception of that because, you know, he, he's within a military hierarchy. Therefore, he has to be slightly deferential to superior officers, i.e. the brigadier. But Adric mm. was certainly a massive drip, quite frankly. <laughs> Adam, also in the mould of Adric. And uh, you've got to look at Rory, and he's not exactly the most assertive companion a doctor's ever had. Oh, I so, don't know. Yeah. I don't know. He's not the most assertive, but he's got a good... He has a certain amount of presence. I mean, think back to Vampires of Phyllis when he's having a go at the old man. I mean, that's that's that was pretty good, I thought. Oh, it, it was it was well portrayed, but I think it, uh, from story terms and character wise, it was out of desperation because he thought Amy was in uh, danger, and it took he took his fiance to be placed in danger for him to actually decide. Oh, I have got a backbone somewhere, you know. It's um it's around here, but I'm 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 not so sure. I'm I, I would very much like to see a male companion, but I strongly suspect the only way that's going to happen is if they cast a doctor as a woman. Well, yes, let's be careful because we talked about transgender time lords last week. There has to be someone somewhere banging on the desk and saying, "What about Turlo? What about Turlo?" Oh yes, that's because I completely forgot about him. <laughs> <laughs> no, Turlo's a good male companion, I think, and I, I've always had a. Uh, I don't know, a, a, a mild respect, I think, for Turlow, certainly. But mm. again, he wasn't exactly the most enthusiastic of companions, was he? In the same way that Tegan Yavanka, you could say she was a very strong companion, mm. but it always felt like she never really wanted to actually be there. Mm. And it was only towards the end of Turlow's story arc... Mm. where he really managed to get some gumption and became a character in his own right, really, rather than just a standard foil that the Doctor has, usually. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. Oh, um, again, I've got to, I've, I'm always kind of conscious of this. Um, for, for fans of the new series who maybe haven't seen so much of the classic series, if you go back to a story called Mordrin Undead from oh. Peter Davison's t- uh, time, which is probably not a bad one if you want to understand the fuss about the Blumenovich limitation effect as well, actually. And also the Regenigate issue as well. And also the 507 Regenerations issue, as mentioned in Death of the Doctor, of course, contravened established canon which started in Mordred Undead so it's a good story to go back and look at if you're interested in you know new who old who controversy mm, exactly so Turlo first turns up in Mordred Undead uh, which is a great story because we get a bit of a cameo from Nicholas Courtney as Brigadier Alistair Gordon Lethbridge Stewart uh, we also see a piece uh, from the Black and White Guardians uh, and he runs all the way through the Planet of Fire which is the first story by uh, which is the first story to feature Nicola Bryant as Perry. So, yeah, it, it, it's unusually unusual for a companion. He has quite a strong story arc in the classic series. Um, mm. Do you know, I think we, I don't want to go back all the way through all the male companions, but we've forgotten about Ian. Who? <laughs> oh, you mean the very first one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know, I think this is going to have to be a subject for a geek out at some point because we're turning a news episode into a critical analysis of the Doctor's male companions. And fun as it may be, I think we really ought to focus on the news, don't you? Fair play. What's the next bit?
All right, so more details about Series 6. Is it Series 6 or is it 6A? We'll see. More details about Series 6 have been revealed in the latest Doctor Who Monthly. Episodes 1 and 2 will be written by Stephen Moffat and directed by Toby Haynes. Uh, Episode 3 will be written by Steve Thompson. No confirmed director just there. Uh, episode four will be written by Neil Gaiman and directed by Richard Clark. Lots and lots of expectation around the Neil Gaiman episode. Uh, episodes five and six will be entitled The Rebel Flesh and Gangers. Now, these are going to be written by Matthew Graham and directed by Julian Simpson. Those titles are fantastic. Um, episode seven is going to be written by Stephen Moffat and episode nine will be written by Mark Gatiss. Now, that's been moved to episode nine from episode four and apparently it was moved because there wasn't enough stuff set outside. So, the, you know, the, when I first heard that, I suddenly thought, so does it not matter so much what order these stories happen in then? Is it not too important? Well, I, yeah, exactly the same thing occurred to me. And I think Stephen Moffat comments on it in the article within DWM. And I think he says something along the lines of, whereas season five, it was very fixed because you had periods of time where Rory was dead, periods of time where Rory was plastic, periods of time where Rory was alive, periods of time where Rory didn't exist. The storyline had to be very fixed. Therefore, the order of the episodes was nowhere near as fluid. However, this time around... It's not the case, so he can with the odd tweak, and I think it's still early enough in the production run to make those tweaks and edits and so on. Mm. It's easier to move certain stories around. Because remember, despite the story arc being very strong, Mm. it's always something that simmers in the background. It's not the main thing people tune in for, and certainly it's not the main thing that the writers write about. I mean, you look at some of the previous stories, even in the Russell T. Davis era, um, Gridlock for me is a perfect example of what I'm about to say. Mm. You got the story first in the first 40 minutes and in the last five minutes you got dedicated over to you know, the bigger story arc or the, st- the bigger picture where the Doctor just sits there and talks to Martha about the destruction of Gallifrey and how he lied at the beginning. Mm. But the whole episode is all about cats and motorways and you know the Doctor <laughs> trying to solve a problem um, within 40 minutes or so. And I'm pretty certain that's going to be you know more or less what Moffat will do as well. So yeah, I think they're probably pretty interchangeable. What, what I do think is interesting is that Mark Gatiss has now been moved all the way to the second half of what is either, as you say, 6, 6A, season 2. Um, if you look at the front of the latest DWM, it talks about all the latest info on series 2. Um, you could call it series 30... What is it? 3, 4? I've lost track now completely. So I... I don't really care what numbers they are anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, and that's the thing. I, when I saw it, I thought, is this season six and series six B? And you know, hardened, <sighs> know. hardened old school fans will have a, a bit of uh, uh, a little bit of affection for a season called six B. Maybe that's. A, but we did talk about that in the chat and retrospective, so we'll see how we get on. Well, moving on uh, again, still from Doctor Who magazine or the latest Doctor Who magazine, um, which I suppose is another news item which I haven't included here. The latest Doctor Who magazine is out, mm-hmm. <laughs> as you can gather from our source material here. Um, <laughs> the the 2011 DVD release schedule has been announced in that magazine and Dan Hall is interviewed now I've not read the actual article yet haven't had the time but I think this is the first time ever that we've got almost an entire year's worth of stories mapped out ahead of us and we'll we'll run through those very quickly just the titles of the stories that are coming out and that's Planet of Spiders yes 
<laughs> Spearhead from Space, Terror of the Autons, The Awakening, The Gunfighters, Paradise Towers, yes! and Batidus. <laughs> I can't get through this list without laughing. And Batidus of Death, The Sunmakers, and Day of the Daleks. Mm. Now, let's have a quick chat. First of all, Tom, uh, about these really interesting box set titles. Yes. Well, given that Revisitations. Uh, have, are being released as well next year. I think Revisitations 2 is coming out, Revisitations 3 is coming and out three. too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's nice to see that Spearhead from Space gets uh, a bit of a washdown, frankly. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit... That's the only thing that I felt, oh, that's not quite right. It's too entertaining. Making Terror of the Autons available only within a two-story box set and it doesn't matter if fans have already got spearhead from space they will need to invest in it again irrespective of whether they want to at least with the revisitations box sets you know people who bought the early dvds have that decision to make Mm. do i just not bother and i have to say that's the stance that i've taken Mm -hmm. um or do i go and reinvest in them and so i do feel a little bit stitched up there by to entertain just because I'm going to have to buy Spearhead from Space again, whether I want to or not. <laughs> well, on the, on the plus side, though, it, it was one of the very, very first DVDs to be released. I think it may have even been the second or third, something like that. Yes, wow. it was. Um, it was. It was a very, very early DVD. In fact, it may even have been the first. Mm. Thinking about it, I know the Five Doctors was released completely in isolation mm. and it's been released about four times since too but um, but yes yeah, Spearhead from Space and Terror of the Autons is going to be released in a box set entitled Mannequin Mania brilliant mm. <laughs> yes I, um, I can live with that I suppose it's a um, little bit tongue in cheek The Awakening and The Gunfighters again two stories that I wouldn't necessarily have put together are called The Earth Story box set mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm hoping probably a little bit out of desperation here that these titles are still tenuous and mm. um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see because there are so many other stories set on earth to have a box set mm. you know implies that all of those stories are included within that set and that's not the case well i think once, once all of the stories have been released and there aren't too many left now then yeah then the, the backstory of doctor who will be rife for uh Repackaging as we go. I'm wondering. I'm wondering if we might not see box sets that include some new series episodes. Because if you've got an Auton box set, you might want to include Rose in there at some point. Well, precisely, and possibly even the Pandora opens and Stolen Earth. Uh, no, Stolen Earth, Big Bang. Mm. Um, at some point too. But at this moment in time, I know that To Entertain have very, very separate and different departments from the new series mm-hmm. uh, DVD releases. I know they talk to each other and they're aware of what's coming out uh, and the dates and so on, but they definitely don't combine. They've never combined, and I don't think they're going to, certainly at no point in the foreseeable future. But I think once Doctor Who disappears from our screens, which I suppose inevitably it must do again mm-hmm. at some point in the next 10 years, I'm hoping, or something like that... Um, then perhaps someone will take a look at whatever visual media is prominent in the markets then. And one of the things about Blu-ray is that the capacity is so much greater than DVDs. It just hasn't been optimised yet by uh, the companies who release these films and TV series. And we could be seeing entire seasons of Doctor Who 
on one Blu-ray disc, perhaps. Oh, don't, don't, because I've, I've got, I haven't bought my copy, I haven't bought season five yet, and I was thinking, should I buy it on Blu-ray? <laughs> well, no, I haven't bought season five yet either, and uh, so yes, that is a decision at this moment in time when Blu-ray is just making a a play for overtaking DVDs. But let's let's carry on talking about the box set. We've got one more box set, which is the Ambassadors of Death and the Sunmakers have been put together in the Solar System box set. Mm. Isn't there something missing here? Where's the Mara box set? I'm waiting for that. (laughs) That's coming out very soon, I think. Um, And again, these are all titles that hadn't been announced. And I think the Mara tales have been announced a little while ago. Good. Um, And they're my two favourite stories uh, from Peter Davison's era, without a shadow of a doubt. Kinder definitely... Um, being the most innovative and different story of the whole Fifth Doctor mm. era. Simon Simon Rouse is just utterly <laughs> insane in that. Um, watch out for if if you if you go to try and uh, have a viewing of the sh- of uh, Kinder before it's released on DVD. Watch out for Simon Rouse playing Hindle. It's oh after Tobias Vaughan. Uh, in uh, the Daleks' master plan, and uh, Kevin Stoney's other character. Oh, no, sorry. After Mavic Chen in the Daleks' master plan, which is a William Hartnell story, and Tobias Vaughan in the Invasion, which is a Patrick Troughton story, Simon Rowles gets it for being the most crazy, the most crazy villain in Doctor Who ever. He's he's great, and I'm even including in, in that roll call Graham Crowden playing Sol Deed in the Horns of Nyon. This guy, oh, well, it's this guy was bonkers, utterly bonkers. Well, also, also worth when you're watching it uh, to take a note of Richard Todd's acting flaws, make a list of them, and send them, send them in to his agent or someone as. Pretty much Matthew Waterhouse did, according to Peter Davison. He gave him advice on how to portray himself slightly better on screen. So I'm sure Richard Todd would have been extremely pleased to receive that advice. Well, fair play. Um, <laughs> the good news, I think, is that Peter Davison's uh, entire Doctor Oeuvre, can we say that Doctor Oeuvre, uh, will be complete Why not? Uh, by the end of next year, which would be quite nice. Yes, indeed. It will be the second Doctor to have their entire era out on DVD. So. The only other stories we haven't mentioned are the single releases, or so we think they're the single releases at this moment in time. Planet of the Spiders, Day of the Daleks and Paradise Towers. And I'm looking forward to all of those, Paradise Towers included, because it just can't be as bad as I remember it. Oh, cynic. Cynic, cynic, cynic. (laughs) No, I'm quite looking forward to seeing that one, actually. Um, I would mind seeing the Happiness Patrol again. Yeah, me too. Um, a very dark story. Uh, well, as was Paradise Towers uh, too, masquerading under a very light bit of fluff. And mm. I, I haven't seen those Seventh Doctor stories for a long old time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think for, for me personally, that those 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 stories have been broadcast just as um, I was discovering the outside world a bit more, and computers were coming becoming a bit more powerful and accessible. <laughs> so I was paying less attention to Doctor Who. But uh, yes, it would be nice to see those again. And of course, Day of the Daleks. Well, mm. an, an, another one for Blinovich lovers. <laughs> Have you heard um, what they're doing with the Dalek voices on that release? No. Uh, Nick Briggs has re- already recorded all the Dalek voices again. The Dalek voices in Day of the Daleks are atrocious. Oh. It's almost as if someone had said, can you remember what Dalek voices sound like? And someone else has said, yeah, I think so. Uh, they're a bit like this, aren't they? And they've got it completely and utterly wrong and they don't sound threatening. So to entertain engage Nick Briggs to re-record all of the Dalek lines in this four-part story. And you can play the DVD with Nick Briggs' Dalek voices instead. So that'll be really good, I think. He must have... Oh, wow. He must have been beside himself when that call came in. 
you know, aside from Matt Smith, I think Nick Briggs has probably got one of the best jobs in the country as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'd mind being Nick Briggs, actually. That'd be cool. Anyway, staying with To Entertain, and these uh, these releases haven't been announced officially yet, uh, but certainly they've been discussed on the t- on To Entertain's Twitter feed that two recordings uh, for commentaries have been made. And I think this was, as we're recording, it was about a week ago. William Russell, Caroline Ford have been reunited to record a commentary. We now know is the Censorites. And the third Doctor tale, Colony in Space, will feature... Katie Manning and Graham Harper. Mm. Graham Harper because he was assistant floor manager uh, during that story. So I think that's not the extent of the actors providing commentaries on those stories, but it's at least we know that both Sensor Rights and Colony and Space are due for release, you know, probably early 2012, I think. Mm. Okay. Well, see, again, there there are links into the new series here, certainly with these with those two releases. I mean, when we think about the Sensorites, um, the, the Sensorites of, of, uh, from the planet Sense-Sphere, uh, and if we think back to um, the Satan Pit, I believe it is, um, the Doctor references the Ood Sphere as being very close to the Sense Sphere. So there's a nice yeah. little link into the new series there. Uh, it's quite a pedestrian story, though. It's little, it, the first episode is very dark, very macabre, mm. um, but it's quite. A, it, it's very stagey, very very uh, slow to unfold type story. The Sense Rights. Um, but watch out for some interesting TARDIS action in episode one, of course. Um, but then, with Colony in Space, you've got two of possibly the most colourful and volatile people in the, in, uh, in, in the, in the classic series who are still uh, reaching out to fans on the same commentary. That one's going to be an interesting one to moderate, I would have thought. Well, I don't think they'll need a moderator. They just sit there and not say anything. <laughs> but it could be quite interesting. A bottle of Gordon's um, and some tonic, and then off you go, guys. <laughs> well, absolutely. Or um, can't help thinking that whenever Katie Manning was sit down to discuss anything who related that she, she in my mind now is Iris Wildtime which is terrible because I really ought to try and separate the characters that she plays uh, out from um, the actress but yeah, yeah. nine times out of ten whenever you see Katie Manning it feels like she's giving a performance and for me it's just Iris Wildtime inside Katie Manning trying to get out so yes I'd love her to do a commentary as Iris Wildtime in character that would be fun I think all you'd have to do is ask her if I'm totally honest. <laughs> I, think, I think you're probably right. Do, do you know, the interesting thing is, I, I never realised what a talented voice artist she is, and it's it's great. You're right. When when I, On the occasion that I've seen her uh, at conventions, she really does this whole voice artist thing. Lots of different voices, lots of different moves, lots of different characters, um, which is great, because it, I wonder how hard it must be for, for her to think about something that happened 40 years ago, 40 plus years ago, and talk about it in the present tense. But I suppose, you know, it, again, that's one of the conditions of actors, I suppose. I, mean, I was thinking about this the other day. Could I go back 10 years and 20 years and talk about people that I was at school with, people that I worked with, as if it was in the present? And I could I could just about do it, but it's quite a hard thing. Do you know, Tom, I struggle with last week. <laughs> Tom, do you remember when we did our recording um, or our review of Revenge of the Cybermen and Silver Nemesis? Um, yes, I do. Now, just before we started recording, I think I had a bit of a whinge to you, saying I was fed up with To Entertain, releasing non-sequential stories because it screwed up my highly organised DVD filing system and you came up with an absolutely brilliant way 
of getting around this problem, and I thought it would be a good idea for you to pass this brilliant idea on to listeners. Oh, okay, no problem. Well, <laughs> well what I do is I get the the box set itself. I, take, I get the, the box set itself, and I put the first story, uh, the first chronological story, in the left hand left hand side of it. Um, I then take out all the other DVDs and put the box set in sequence, uh, the, 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 the partly empty box, in sequence with the other stories. And then I just put whatever the next chronological story was <laughs> into, into the box set. So it's, a ni- so it's a nice one. So it means I keep all the boxes. Um, one of the stories that belongs in the box set is actually there, but it doesn't mess up the chronological order of the DVD collection. And listeners, isn't that brilliant? <laughs> I just thought that's a fantastic way of doing things. And within a couple of days of having that conversation with Tom... I did the same. <laughs> if I look around now, then I, there's the, um, the Beneath the Waves box set. It starts with the Silurians and it goes on to, on to the next chronological thing. So, yeah, it's, it's just a way of... Um, You've got a Beneath the Waves box set? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I'm beneath the Waves? Wow. Look, uh, I think that might be one I'm missing. Uh, it goes over to the end. Tick, tick, tick. Yeah, so, yeah. so my Beneath the Waves goes... Silurian goes... Yeah. So the Beneath the, the waves. That box for me. Go Silurians, Inferno, Cause of Axos. <laughs> and it's Beneath the Waves. Because it's not Beneath the Waves. What is it? It's bene- <laughs> Didn't you just go and look at it? No, I just looked at the DVDs. I can't see, I can't see the ah, box there. It's Beneath the Surface. Sorry, the Beneath the Surface. Doesn't matter. I'm just being completely anal there. It's being a Doctor Who okay. fan. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, well, it's me thinking I'm funny. But there you go. That's cool. David Tennant and Catherine Tate appeared on BBC's Breakfast to discuss their latest projects together. The two are going to appear in a production of William Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing, which opens in London's Wyndham Theatre from the 16th of May 2011. They'll be playing the roles of combative lovers Beatrice and Benedict in the play. Now, this is the duo's first full collaboration together, although they have been firm friends since meeting for the first time on the set of Doctor Who and have presented the Jonathan Ross show for BBC Radio 2 together a number of times. Now... To me, that's fabulous, uh, because you've got two world-class actors uh, appearing in a wonderful, wonderful play, which is written by one of the men who's the glories of the English language, um, in one of the finest cities on earth. So to think that these two people were, produ- were, the, were the leads in Doctor Who for a year as well, and when... When you watch that season, when you watch, when you watch the Catherine Tate season, it's a, you know, the quality of acting in there is phenomenal, and it reminds us that these are two... Again, I say again, world class actors. Um, it might, it's maybe inappropriate to say now, but I've got to say there, there have only been one or two occasions when I've been a little bit um, sad to be a Doctor Who fan, and one of those occasions was when Catherine's Tate, Catherine Tate's casting was, was announced uh, as the companion for that season because I saw some of the most ah oh, embarrassing comments turning up on the internet. How can this actress? She's a comedy actress. She's not a comedy actress. She's an actress that does comedy phenomenally well. If you're not a good actor, you can't do comedy very, very well. And believe me, she can do comedy, and she's a fantastic actress. Anyone who's seen her away from Doctor Who knows, how, well, beforehand, knew how good she was. And when, when she actually did uh, portray Donna Noble, that was one, it was one of the greatest performances in Doctor Who's history. So to see these two actors getting on stage again, which demonstrates some sort of decent bond, which came through the chemistry that, that was in Doctor Who, is to me just stellar, fantastic. And she's gorgeous. There. <laughs> yeah, nicely put. I'm not sure I've got much to add to that, really, Tom. <laughs> Sorry. That was a, that, that, <laughs> no, that's... Soapbox moment. Sorry. Right, moving away from Doctor Who completely, and um, we haven't discussed any Torchwood news on the Doctor Who podcast for a very long time, or it feels like that anyway. 
that Series 4 title has been changed. I think this was just this week, so it's relatively new news. It was going to be called The New World. It's now going to be called Miracle Day, which is, you know, kind of RTD kind of title, I think. But um, you're not particularly um, an avid follower of Tortured, are you, Tom? No. Did you watch season three? No. Did you watch season two? No. <laughs> You've not seen any Tortured? I've watched I've watched the first few episodes of season one. Ah, I watched so you got the, <laughs> no. You see, you've probably watched the episodes that are certainly justified. I think for a bit of criticism, whereas Torchwood for me got better and better. And if I take my opinion of the story out of it, it just got better and better from series one all the way through to series three. I didn't like series three. I didn't like the story in season three, but the way it was made and the way the characters were portrayed on screen was just fantastic. And of course with Star's collaboration now uh, for Series 4, we know it's going to change massively I think in the way that things are going to play out, certainly in terms of the story and the way that the programme itself is actually going to be structured it's going to be 10 episodes this time and I believe filming has begun both in Wales and in the United States Will you be watching this one Tom? Have you got any interest to, to kind of jump on at the beginning of Season 4? I'll try it I'll try, I can, and every time I try, I say I haven't seen any Torchwood, I try and watch the first couple of episodes and I think, do you know what, come on Tom, it's related to Doctor Who, you like John Barrowman, you like Eve Miles, come on, you'll like it. And every time I just I just wind up doing something else before the end of the season. Um, so I'll t- I, who knows, this time it might be different. Um, which is not to say that it's pants, it's not, but... I don't really watch much TV and the stuff I like and I like Doctor Who I'm not sure I need adult Doctor Who because Doctor Who's good enough for me well for what it's worth certainly Children of Earth was nothing like Doctor Who at all apart from purporting to be in the same universe which you know even that was a tenuous point I think because the Doctor had no part to play in any way shape or form even if he was involved in the events in of the story it would have felt just so completely out of place so for me Torchwood is a completely different animal mm. series one and season two is a little bit more closely linked uh, to, to Russell T Davies version of Doctor Who but I now think Torchwood is going to be more or less a completely separate venture despite still remaining an anagram of Doctor Who <laughs> yeah yeah I mean I think with me though it, it's I'm not a big fan of Star Trek because that whole um, sort of explorers in space, and it's very military, and you know, but it's Battlestar Galactica. Just doesn't do it for me. Um, I'm, I much prefer, I much prefer the Doctor Who story setting and the story and story universe. But again, I think I'm a fan, so let me try it again. And who knows, I might make, I might even make it to the end of the season this year. <laughs> we'll have to, we'll have to have a review of it on here, so you'll have to have an opinion about it. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's get back into your comfort zone, then, Tom. Let's talk about one of the most exciting news items that I can see on our list here. I'll let you go for this one. Okay, uh, BARB have now issued the official ratings confirming A Christmas Carol achieved final ratings of 12.1 million viewers. Uh, once figures for those watching on HD are factored in, uh, the programme finished fourth for the week behind EastEnders, Coronation Street and Come Fly With Me. Um, the other, only eight other Doctor Who episodes have ranked fourth or higher in the weekly charts, including M- Matt Smith's first story, The Eleventh Hour. In the United Kingdom, 
in the 21st century. 12.1 million viewers for a TV show is ridiculous. And you can see by what's beaten it, i.e. Uh, Coronation Street and EastEnders, that the show is high up there in the public imagination. Um, a favourite phrase of mine, but hey, good time to be a Doctor Who fan. No, absolutely. Just as a little bit of a quiz mm. for you, Tom, and I know that we're not um, we're not doing a Doctor Who podcast quiz, so we will be recording another one, listeners, very soon. Though this is the fourth most successful Christmas special for Doctor Who. Now, given that there's only been a few, which are the others that have finished above it? What are the three stories that did better in terms of rating that were broadcast on Christmas Day? I would have thought the Christmas Invasion, um, end of time, and or McCully in it. Uh, you got two out of three there, yes. Uh, the Christmas Invasion didn't feature. It was the next Doctor, strangely. The next Doctor, Voyager of the Damned and End of Time all did better. So depending on your point of view and how you look at it, yes, you're right, 12.1 million viewers is fantastic. But if you're Russell T Davis, he must have a little smile on his face, surely. <laughs> I wonder if they're that competitive. Probably, yes. Oh, of course they are, because they stress so, so strongly that they're not, and that they're such big fans of each other. But when you introduce a show like Doctor Who in a way that Russell T Davis did, of course you're going to be looking to see what people after you do with it. And, you know, you're going to be inhuman not to have an opinion on it. You may not necessarily articulate it, maybe not for another 15, 20 years or so but that's that's one time you know I'm assuming Doctor Who well I'm certain Doctor Who fandom will still be strong but I can't wait to hear those conversations when I'm pushing 60 I think <laughs> uh, listening to you know RTD versus Stephen Moffat be great wow yeah but, well of course Stephen Moffat won't be able to you, you won't be able to talk to Stephen Moffat because he'll be working in Hollywood by then but there you go oh quite possibly yes making something like the 19th Star Wars film possibly <laughs> yes but but anyway, staying with both the subjects of America and also uh, A Christmas Carol, um, 727,000 viewers tuned in for BBC America's showing of A Christmas Carol on Christmas Day. Now, I don't have any context there because I don't have the figures for other um, showings of Christmas specials in America, but given I think it's the first time that it's actually been broadcast on Christmas Day, I think that looks to me to be a relatively strong figure. See, and that was what that was going to be my comment as well. I've got no context for that figure. I can't tell mm. if that's good or bad. Um, uh, Podshock people, perhaps you can tell us, is that good or bad for, for a well, show? Possibly. We're assuming that they listen to us. Oh, of course. <laughs> well, 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 one thing... When you see them at Galley, have a word. <laughs> yes, one thing I would like to ask is if you're an American listener, and I know that we've got a number of American listeners, did having the Christmas special broadcast on Christmas Day itself, did that change your viewing experience at all? And if it did, then we'd like to hear about it. So please drop us an email, feedback at the Doctor Who podcast. Dot com. I, I know that Trev had a similar experience because, of course, it was broadcast on Boxing Day and Trev actually had to watch it on television for the first time. So, it, it, And he did say it fundamentally changed the way that he consumed Doctor Who. So I'm, I'm kind of interested in that concept, even if nobody else. The New Zealand Doctor Who fan club have reported that the 2010 Christmas special will be shown in New Zealand on Sunday the 30th of January. 
and it will be shown on Prime TV at 8.30pm. And it has to be said, I think New Zealand have been very behind this year, even with their announcement of when it's going to be broadcast. Whereas last year, certainly for the end of time part two, it was announced at the same time that uh, the broadcast in Australia was announced. So I think you've got a little bit to be aggrieved about New Zealand Doctor Who fans. Getting towards the bottom of the news page, uh, The Four Doctors has been released by Big Finish. uh, And also... Another season of Turlo, Tegan, and Nissa as the uh, crowded as the crowded TARDIS Part Two crew uh, has been announced by the the inestimably wonderful Big Finish. Um, mm. I know it's not a news item uh, per se, but I've got to say, guys, guys, go out and buy the Jago and Lightfoot box set. It's brilliant. Ah. It's really, really good. <laughs> also, have listened to Quinnis there. <laughs> Fair enough. I haven't heard Quinnis yet, and neither have I heard the second Jago and Lightfoot box set but the four doctors which is a subscriber only um story so uh, there are certain prerequisites that you need to meet if you are a particular uh, customer of big finish in order to get this story this is part of the reason why we're covering it here in a news episode it's because it's the first time this particular quadrilogy if you like of doctors have been put together because i simply do not count zagreus as counting I was um, say. all of the do- <laughs> all of the doctors play different characters there as well but this is this is the kind of four doctor story that we have been waiting for it's um it's a uniquely told story so if you have an opportunity to listen to this i would strongly suggest that you do and we may get round to reviewing this at some point on the dwp just because it is such a landmark release really mm. i mean i i do i think i share your enthusiasm for for big finish i mean i i wasn't too sure about it 2 years ago but over the preceding uh, over the 24 months up until now i've really got into it um, mm. No, I feel like you're one of my converts, Tom. It has to be said. Definitely. Well, I, th- I think you're <laughs> right. I think we started off talking about um, oh th- th- that trilogy from last Christmas or the Christmas the before. Stockbridge trilogy was our first recording. That's it, the Stockbridge trilogy. And mm. over the last year, I mean, I, I, I've I couldn't believe I was actually looking forward to the Jago Lightfoot box set, and I listened to it all in one go because I had a, a very long journey to do uh, last week. So. I listened to the whole box set on the way back up the country. And by the end of it, I was absolutely just... Oh, I was all over the place. It was fabulous. Um, oh, I'm, I'm really, really pleased to hear that it's uh, it's as good as the first box set. Because better. clearly the first box... Oh, it's better. Fantastic. And a lot of the time that happens, Big Finish learn with these series as they go on. But they started so strongly with the first four stories. I am really pleased to hear that they continue. Right then. Um, the final story we've got here... Actually, no, one of the final stories. I forget I spoke because I'm talking rubbish. Um, (laughs) Right, the next story, um, The Sun, um, one of the most respected uh, disseminators of news in the United Kingdom. uh, Absolutely. Has reported that the 10th Doctor, David Tennant, has finally got engaged to his long-term girlfriend, Georgia Moffat, the deliciously gorgeous Georgia Moffat. Um, According to the paper, the couple plan to marry early next year. Uh, But in a late addition to this story, um, it's it's emerged that uh, Georgia is actually very pregnant. So that may uh, change the uh, dates that they marry. It may change, it may not change, but it's lovely to hear that uh, David Tennant uh, is uh, settling down and starting a family. Good on him. Okay, it's sad to announce the passing away of Norman Taylor, uh, 
who was one of the men behind the original iconic Doctor Who title sequence. Um, now, Norman was a technical operations manager on Crew 9, based at Lime Grove in London, and it was him who, while experimenting with a camera, looking at a monitor, showing its own picture, made the discovery of the visual howl-around that was used to originally portray the time vortex in the first set of titles. Now, a version of that effect was used all the way up to the mid-70s. Um, in fact, all the way up to 1980, uh, when it was changed for the Starfield effect. Um, it's, you know, it's amazing when you have things like the Doctor Who opening titles, which become iconic, become part of the way that television tells its stories, and certainly part of the visual language of television, that you forget that sometimes these things are just serendipitous accidents, but, but more importantly, that they are the product of someone else's ingenuity and creativity. Uh, in the case of the Doctor Who titles, which will be echoed for many, many years to come, I'm sure, uh, that was Norman Taylor, and as I say, sad to report, his passing away. Uh, absolutely. I, I think certainly the very first title sequence was in a way where it all started. And you, you, you rightly said a version of that went all the way up to the Leisure Hive. And uh, I, I think it's um, just an absolute massive statement of success, really. And uh, anyone who is incredibly privileged to be involved with the Doctor Who title sequence or indeed the theme that accompanied it I think yeah it's only right that we do remember and uh, and are grateful to and I'm very very grateful because that's one of the abiding childhood memories that I have is, is just watching these kind of swirly scary patterns on screen that along with the music were absolutely captivating and uh, I know it's been the same for many other fans of the show so yes um, thank you very much Norman I think that's about it for this episode of the Doctor Who podcast. I think we've well and truly exhausted all of the news items and all of the current topics that have been circulating Doctor Who fandom over the last month or so. Taking a look ahead to next week, we're going to be holding another Doctor Who podcast geek out. Now, this time around, as you may remember if you listened to the last podcast, we asked for your help in terms of trying to come up with subjects to basically talk about in a completely unplanned way so without making any real preparations and uh, other than knowing what we're going to be talking about we're going to announce those this week and we'll say if you want to get your thoughts or comments in if you want us to try and talk about your theories you need to get your thoughts to us on twitter really really quickly no emails this time please just short one-liners using at the dr who podcast handle on twitter so We've had two suggestions that we're going to use. The first one is from at Jar Rose, and I know that this particular username seems familiar. I have a feeling that uh, this listener posted quite prolifically on the Doctor Who podcast forums when we first got going. And she says, Mix up the companions and Doctor Who incarnations. Could new Who companions work in classic Who and vice versa? And I'm salivating at that one, Tom. I don't know about you. I like that one. I have got the best classic doctor <laughs> classic doctor and companion mix up in my head right now can't wait looking forward to that oh, already yes. and the second one assuming we do get time for this and i'm sure we will is from at vinto 316 why not talk about the clothes the doctors wear from bow ties to scarves etc and i don't think we've ever really spent any time talking about 
the wardrobe, and it's probably because you've got three lads who are more interesting in time travel and uh, <laughs> stuff like that than we are in what the doctors are actually wearing. But we'll have a go. We'll, well have a go at that one. The, you, say, <laughs> the is, you say that. You say that. The, the greatest compliment I was ever paid by someone when I went out one evening was that they said, "That's a bit. You look a bit doctorish there." And, and <laughs> I, 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 they, was that the white coat and straight jacket? <laughs> <laughs> that was the one. The, the stethoscope didn't help either. But yes, yes. But, but, but I, I, I'm on it. I'm not massively steampunky, but yes, I'm into the. I'm into the clothing, definitely. Oh, wonderful! Well, I look forward to your um, your coordinating that particular episode then, because it's going to be interesting. I think maybe Trev and I will be um, a little bit quieter. Perhaps we'll have to wait and see okay. how that particular geek out goes. But yes, thank you very much to you both Jaros and Vinto316 and everybody who who sent in suggestions and we may use some other suggestions in future episodes but we did promise that we'd send you some kind of cheap DWP merchandise so again if um, if you can get in contact with us on Twitter send us a direct message please Jaros and Vinto316 with your details and we'll arrange for something suitably inexpensive to be sent to you as a thank you well that to me Sounds very much like it's the end of this episode. Um, what can we say? It's been a pleasure to have you listening along. Let's uh, look forward to next week. And personally, I'm going to look forward to a big cup of coffee. Oh, yes. Caffeine is certainly required this end as well. So we'll catch up with you listeners in about seven days' time. Hopefully Trev will be back. He'll have finished bailing out <laughs> Brisbane in a very different <laughs> way to the way that we bailed out the bankers over in this country. But enjoy your um, water removal activities, Trev, and we'll catch up with you again soon. Take it easy. Bye for now. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care. Doctor Who returns to Italy this month when the state broadcaster RAI brings the show to their entertainment channel RAI4, available on digital terrestrial television in Italy and digital satellite television through TivoSat. The channel has acquired all five series of modern Doctor Who as well as the specials. Rumours that Silvio Berlusconi will be voicing Christopher Eccleston's Doctor have yet to be confirmed. Hmm. What's Time Lord in Italian, Tom? <laughs> I can find out. Hang on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> is it not time, my lord? <laughs> mm, I think it's the time, my lord. I, I think apologies so. to everyone. Who, apologies to every single Italian listener that we have. Uh, my wife is a half Italian, so I feel quite justified in massacring the accent. Can, can you tell her? Can, can you ask her? Can I tell her? <laughs> you can't tell her anything. You tell her, <laughs> Do you know, love? You're half Italian. <laughs> yes. Hang on a second. She's next door. I can hear the bathroom being cleaned. Hang on a minute. <laughs> Angela?
Stadium for Time Lord. Oh, thank you. Ugh. Right, it's quite technical. I don't know. Okay, I can find out. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> well, clock or what? No, watch is Lorelogeal. Yep. Um, Lord would be. Um, I don't know. Okay, Signore del Tempo. Signore, okay. Do you want to... <laughs> so. <clears throat> Not that Trev would have edited this at all, <laughs> but um, what's the Italian for Time Lord, Tom? Uh, Signore del Tempo. Of course. Sorry. It's on the tip of Signore tongue. del Tempo. <laughs> it's on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> Tom Wonderful. Tom. Well done, Tom. <laughs> I, think I, I think I worked it out in French once. I think it's uh, L'Ondi Don. Um, oh, look, yes, the, the Time Lord. Yes, <laughs> a, a man of time. But yeah, so, so I think it's, yeah, Signore del Tempo. Signore del mm. Tempo. He said yes. And then moving on. He does. Yes, as from the man from Del Monte. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> yes. Um, to, uh, Trev, I think you've got loads of stuff to stick on the end of this. And you did ask us to talk to you, so, you know, I, us making it harder for you to edit is entertaining. Yeah, he said talk, he said talk to not talk rubbish for 40 minutes. <laughs> well, he didn't make that clear, did he? <laughs> <laughs> so let's carry on. Hi there. This is a uh, Doctor Who podcast. Uh, this is my brother James, my other brother James. We're going to talk about Doctor Who news. Yeah, yeah, episode 60. See, okay, I'm being really conscious of not saying stuff I wouldn't want to hear in the podcast. Cause I know what Trev's <laughs> like. He'd be like, I'll just, I'll just stick it on the end. It's like, no, you won't. <laughs> right. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> Ah. <laughs> 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 <laughs>